If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn it to the book of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. That's where we're at this morning um, as we are continuing in our series on generosity. Man, we have spent four weeks preparing for this week and the ones that will come after. Finally, we talk about money, except not really, but still money. So if you have your place, we're in Matthew chapter six. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, that's our habit here. Text will be behind me. Or if, it's, if you don't have a Bible with you, it's in your order. I know you all are still thinking about what I just said. So know that what we're about to read is God's word. It makes no mistakes. And unless we mess up the reading of it, it is, uh, it's, not, it's, it's something very serious. So let's hear it as we're supposed to with joy and love in our hearts uh, and ask the Holy Spirit to open our hearts to it. Starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. God's word given for our flourishing. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, your word and your words are the only thing that can change us, that that grows us, that makes us new by the power of your spirit. And so uh, let everything else this morning fall aside. Those things that I say uh, that... Um, are not for me. Let them fall quickly away, but let the things that explain, expound, and, and apply your word, Lord, by, and, and, and lift up Jesus. Let those things come forward. Uh, you are all that matters, and so we ask that you would make yourself great, make your name famous in us and in our community. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. Finally, 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 we get to turn our attention over four weeks or, the, or five at this point um, to some passages that specifically deal with our relationship with money. And so we're, we're in this series that we're calling Be Generous, dealing with how the gospel impacts our relationship with money. And some of you may be thinking, like, why did it take so long uh, to get here? And it's actually quite simple. Everything that the Bible says about money is based on assumptions, okay? Assumptions that you and I don't share, right? The assumptions are things like the fact that we were made by and for God, not for other things. That we're here not for ourselves, to be agents of, of God's redemption in the world. That God specifically put us where he put us out of his sovereign choice to seek the flourishing of that place. And that everything we have, whether it's our time, our talents, our money, everything has been given from God and are ultimately his. If you don't get that, if we can't start there with those assumptions, then we will get all the stuff about money wrong. And we'll get it all wrong uh, because you'll be wondering why it is that God wants your stuff. If God's so great, why does he want my stuff? If he owns everything, why does he need my stuff, right? Why does he want to separate me from my happiness? Why does he want to hold me back? Why does he want me to tell, you, tell me what to do with my hard-earned and limited resources? You with me? See, if we don't get all that other stuff, that's where we're going to get stuck. That's where many of us have been stuck. 
And we've heard preachers maybe before stand up and talk about money. And we've wondered like, man, I know the church is hard up, but you know, come on. I'm here to tell you that this church is not hard up. And in fact, what, what we're saying here over the, over the last five, four weeks, now this is the fifth, and then after, um, after I get back over the course of the next four, I think, or three or whatever, well, that's not so much because we want something from you as it is we want something for you. We've been starting with how the scriptures speak about these things so that when we get to our relationship with money, we first dealt with our hearts. Because even in this passage, that is about money. It still deals with our hearts. And this is what we're going to see this morning. That ultimately, trying to serve anything in addition to Jesus means that you are serving anything but Jesus. If you're trying to serve anything in addition to Jesus, in fact, you're probably serving everything but Jesus. Okay? If you're a note taker, there's an outline. If not, don't worry about it. So let's dive into this. Let me, let me give you a little context before we jump directly into this passage. And remember, context is important. Context is important because especially when you're dealing with passages that are difficult. And by difficult, I mean things that God says to us that we don't like. And if you don't think that God says to you things that you don't like, you probably aren't reading the Bible. Or at least not reading it honestly. Okay. When we come to difficult passages, it is important to understand the context so that we know that the guy who's talking to us, the person who's talking to us, isn't twisting it to their own ends. Okay? So let's talk about this context. This is, in the midst of this, in Matthew 6, what you're dealing with is what is traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount. It's basically a long section of teaching that Jesus does in one place. It begins with like what are called the Beatitudes. Maybe you've heard of those, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, like things like that. Here's the important thing to, to know about the Sermon on the Mount. It is full of very, very difficult teaching. This is where Jesus says that you've heard it said, don't murder. But if you've been angry in your heart with your brother, you've already murdered him. You're like, what? And then he says things like, uh, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you lust after someone, if you look on someone with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with them. Like, come on, man. And so often what he's doing, what Jesus is doing in this is he's taking us not just to the law, not just to behavior, but to where the behavior comes from. Not just what we do, but the motivations behind it. You with me? And so when we're coming into this passage on money, it's going to do the same thing. Now, here's the most important part about the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe even something, even if you've been raised in a church that's like Bible teaching and all this stuff that you may have gotten, that may have been wrong. The Sermon on the Mount is meant to be obeyed. It's not just something to show you your need. I mean, it is that. But it's meant to be done. This is Jesus saying, this is what it will look like to be one of my people. Okay? All right, here we go. Let's get into this. Uh, Look down. All of that is important as we get into this. Look down at verse 19, first and foremost. Right? Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Okay, now it's important that when we come into this and begin reading it, we understand exactly what Jesus is talking about. So you and I hear treasure and of course we think cash and it is that, but it is that because of the way we value 
cash. The way we value money. The word treasure means specifically something we find precious. So can it be money? Yes, it can. Can it be other things? Yes, it can. Some of us are like, money, get rid of it. Don't need it. But there are other things that are precious to us. Okay? So whatever that may be to you, understand that this is something of great value. Something that you see that is of great value. And he says, don't store up on your, for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Okay, so in the day that Jesus is speaking, your wealth was in one of like three places. Okay? It was in your clothes, which sounds weird, but most people, if they were wealthy, owned two to three changes of clothes. You're not getting it. They lived in a desert. And they didn't have no washing machines. I'm just saying like everybody stank. That's all I'm saying. But you had two, to, and that's, that's if you're wealthy, you had that many changes of clothes. So if you had a bunch of clothes, you were wealthy. But what happens to clothes? Well, moths get in there. We're past mothballs, aren't we? Does anyone still use mothballs? My Christmas stuff used to smell like mothballs. Because we lived in, we lived in Florida and you kept stuff outside in the storage area. And I don't know if you've ever been to Florida, but they have these things that are like this long. They call them palmetto bugs, but them are roaches, and they are huge. You can put mothballs in to keep them away. Okay? So anyway, moths tend to eat things. They eat clothes. So obviously, that's the, one of the other places is in your, is, is uh, like metal, because metal is uh, hard to come by, very difficult to get, very expensive. Rust can generally take care of those things, especially if your tools get left in the yard. I may have been looking at one of my children. All right. And then in your livestock, okay? Livestock, we'll get to why that, he doesn't need to mention that, okay? In a second. But what this is dealing with is the fact that if moths can eat it, rust can destroy it, and with livestock, they die anyway, then treasures as precious things, thinking of your precious things here, there's a fundamental insecurity to them. That's what it's getting at. There's a fundamental insecurity to them. They are perishable, okay? But let's, let's move on. But lay up for yourselves instead treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is very horribly. We'll get to the verse 21 in a second. Treasure, same word, same word, precious, same thing. But again, what he's talking about here is that fact, the fact that Laying those things up in heaven means that you're, they, they can't, moth can't eat them, rust can't destroy them, thieves can't steal them. Now, what this is getting at is not things on earth bad, things in heaven good. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying things here fundamentally insecure. Things there fundamentally secure. It's an issue of security, not an issue of morality. You with me? It's very important because what we can end up thinking, especially if you've been raised in very conservative, very, um, very, uh, how, how would I say this? Uh, very moral, very rigid homes is that there is something fundamentally bad about our stuff and we got to keep it away, but fundamentally good about everything that's kind of spiritual, ethereal, not physical, Right? It's not what this is saying. This is saying that there's secure things there, insecure things here. Okay, but why? Well, you know why. 
I mean, has anyone watched the stock market this week? Like, there's no way. There's, uh, and, and every one of us thinks, oh, there's an amount. There's no amount that we go, we're good. Like, there's always, and, and, and listen, psychologists will tell you this. People who study these things will tell you this. People who actually know these people will tell you this. Oftentimes, the more you have, the more paranoid you are about it. It's as if, like, you think you've got all this stuff and therefore it's great, but with more stuff comes more things you can lose. And so there's this fundamental insecurity about these things. And so when we find things precious here, those are the things that can easily be taken from us. It creates a, a set of being in which we are constantly having to keep it up, constantly having to work for it. And that leads us to verse 21. This is a huge verse. In fact, this is, I think it's the only time, if not, it's one of the only times that Jesus ever gives us a diagnostic of our spiritual state, which means it's also terrifying. He says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So again, let's remember what it means. Where you place the most value, that is where your heart will be. With what you find precious, with what is precious to you, that is where your heart will be. This is part of what it means to be human. Listen to me. You and I are meaning makers. We are value placers. Persons assign value things. That's why it's almost impossible. I'm not saying it is impossible. I'm saying you have to do great levels of, of, of mental gymnastics to come up with a way to have an objective right or wrong if there's not a God who says this is right or wrong. Because how do you get, say this action is good and this action is bad unless there's a person saying bad, good, right? We are value makers or value placers and meaning makers. Persons assign values. So what does this mean when Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is? It means simply this. It doesn't mean like, well, I have a house. Does that mean? No, he's saying where, listen to me, this is important. Here's the diagnostic. Where your resources flow the most freely, that is what you find precious. That is where you find the most value, the most meaningly, meaning. Now, notice I did not say necessarily where you spend the most money. Hmm. That's, the, that's easy to, to mistake. It's not necessarily where you spend the most money. It's where it takes very little thought to spend money. Right? This is a funny one, but I'll say it anyway. I love Diet Coke. And it is not a thing for me to go into anywhere, anytime, anytime that I'm out and find somewhere to stop, whether I'm thirsty or not, to get a Diet Coke. My money flows very freely towards that. It takes no thought. It takes no consideration. Oftentimes, it seems to happen on automatic pilot, as if I'm not even in control. Rick has a problem. I know. I don't know. But listen, what is it? Where does your money flow most freely? Is it fun? Is it vacations? Trips? Alcohol? Toys? Eating out? Ooh, that's a big one. Clothes? Job stuff? Like I spend my money most freely on things that are going to make me a success? Is it, is it health? 
Like, I, you know, beauty, fitness, like what is it? What is that thing? Where, where is, is your money flowing where you don't even have to think about it? It's not a thought of like, do I have the money for this? You may go, honey, we don't have the money for this thing over here. But then this other thing comes up and you're like, whatever. And she may come to you or he may come to you and be like, sweetie, what? you just spent just as much money on those 75 Diet Cokes as, as this would have cost. And you're like, but it's just Diet Coke. I, I don't know. Right? It, Jesus says you can tell what is most precious to you by seeing where it is that your money flows most freely. If you're seeing it flow this way, guess what that means? That's what's most precious to you. So in one sense, it's a diagnostic, but it's also a discipline. Look, look again at the, at the wording real quick. He says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, we can stop with the diagnostic, but on the other hand, this is a future tense, which means that he's also saying that your heart can be moved into a place. And there is a sense in which when we invest in something, it reinforces our belief in its preciousness. Why? Because those are resources we work very hard for. And so when we give money to it, it's like showing we find that thing very valuable. So this means that, there, that this is something that you can, uh, you can, if you're a Christian, listen, okay, if you're not, just listen in. But if you're a Christian, this is something that you can begin to allow Jesus to work on with you. Now, as soon as I say that, some of us are going to think, Rick, you are all the time telling us that we grow by grace as much as we are rescued by it, right? Shouldn't we just, shouldn't we just? pray and wait around until God works in our hearts and we feel like it. Wouldn't that be awesome? Isn't that the way things work? That's actually a great question. And it's a huge common misunderstanding of how grace works. Okay. So look at me. If you see an issue in you in your life and you pray and you ask God to work, to change it, how do you know if he does it? You change right? That's how you know. You change. Faith is not sitting around continuing to pursue the things that we know screw our relationship up with God. Well, I know that my money flows freely towards this, but my heart ain't in it. So I'm just going to keep going until he changes my heart. That's not the way these things work. Hoping one day that you're going to wake up, you're going to wake up one day. It's like, God answered my prayers. I don't want Diet Coke anymore. Bobby's been praying that for me for like 10 years. Ain't happening. Ain't working. Right? My wife has been praying that for 25 years at this point. Please, Lord, please. She's convinced it'll kill me. All right? So, isn't that the way it works? Isn't you wake up and it's like, everything's different today? No. Instead, it's praying that God will change you. Look at me. Praying that God will change you. Trusting, this is where faith is, trusting he's answering your prayer because we're going to trust like he, I know that this is something that pleases him. I know, not the Diet Coke thing, he cares less about that, but uh, I know that where, where my money flows freely, that, that is something he cares about or fill in the blank. I'm praying that he'll change it. Therefore, I'm trusting that he's going to answer it and then going and doing differently. Because we're trusting the Spirit's working in our hearts. 
trusting that living as if, as if you believe he's actually answering the prayer that you prayed. (gasps) That is what Jesus means here. You see that your stuff is flowing more freely towards everything but Jesus. You repent. You ask him to change you. Then you trust that he's actually working in you and begin doing differently. You start moving your resources freely instead of towards those things that are full of saccharin to, to other things. Towards what matters to him. And what you end up finding is that as you do it, he is changing you. Is it immediate? No. Has any change in your life ever been immediate? Ever? Like you just woke up one day and like, I'm different. No trouble anymore. No problems. It's great. If you are, write a book. You'll make a lot of money and no one will believe you. But it's still fine. Of course not. It's not going to be immediate, but it doesn't mean it's not happening. You with me? All right. Well, stink. All right. Uh, listen, if it's simply a behavior thing, can I tell you that most of us here are, uh, most of us here uh, could figure that out. If it's just a behavior thing, we could figure that out. I mean, I couldn't, but most of you could. Um, but then we have this section where you keep going and you're like, there's an I and you're like, what does this have to do with anything? It seems really random. It actually isn't. So let's, let's look there. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Let's just stop there. Because that's what Jesus is meaning. What he's talking about here is he's trying to get a metaphor across. If your eye is right, if your eye is healthy, then your body works well. It's not saying like that's the only part of the body. But he's saying is light cannot do its job in you unless your eye is healthy. Does that make sense? Like it doesn't matter. You can't cure blindness by shining more light on things. Putting more light into the eye is not going to make you see if you can't see. If your eye doesn't work, it will not work. Period. Right? So that's obvious. So then why does he say it? Jesus says this because you and I are bent. Dare I? Like hell bent. Hell, literally hell bent on seeing things backwards. We like to see things from the outside in. I do things bad and that makes me bad. Like I do things wrong and therefore I become wrong. I do things sinful and therefore I become a sinner. And Jesus says, no. The reason The reason, because he just mentioned the heart, the reason that your heart finds other things precious, other things, things that that all of us know are fundamentally insecure. Unless you're like five, you know, and sometimes even if you're five, you know, money is here today, gone tomorrow, right? You know this because you got your allowance or you got your money from mowing the lawn. You went to that convenience store and you walked out with like 75 cents. You're like, what, did, what, ha, what happened to it all? Like, it just goes away, right? It's fundamentally insecure. And yet we latch onto it. And Jesus says the reason you do that is not because you're dumb. It's because your heart is messed up. Your heart is broken. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean that if your heart was right, you wouldn't care about anything but Jesus. This is is like the uber fundamental kind of way of looking at things. When Jesus says, you have to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you read that and you go, therefore I love nothing else. Jesus is my everything and my boyfriend and nothing else, right? 
What it means is, is that Jesus is at the top and everything else falls below. This is where um, uh, uh, one of our church fathers by the name of St. Augustine did so much to help us here. The problem with your heart is not that you love other things. It's not like as a spouse, you go like, I, I love my spouse. Is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. Jesus says, husbands, love your wives. Like he doesn't say don't love them. But what he does say is he, just like he says to wives, he says, you know, listen, at the end of the day, um, you have a husband, he's the leader in your home. You got to follow him unless he tells you to sin because I'm more important than he is with me. Our hearts are, the problem is not that we love things. The problem is where we put the loves. It's like Jesus is supposed to be here and then everything else down here. But what we go, it's like, nope. And we put other things up there. Our hearts are disordered. Our loves are disordered. They're not lined up right. But here's the deal, and this gets at the starting of the source. You and I cannot line up our loves. Have you tried? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you have. Have you tried to line up your loves? Your loves are disordered. Your heart is disordered. That is what the scripture says our primary problem is. And that is why you and I need more than a simple reformation. And this is one of, if not the biggest difference between Christianity and all other ways of looking at the world, religious or not. They give you rules and Christianity gives you a rescue. They give you reform, but Christianity gives you rebirth. And you know that is what you need. That is, that's why you and I, we can't even keep our own moral standards. Better yet, the ones that other people have for us, Right? That's why you and I, even, even when we have our own standard, and, and every one of us, every one of us, don't, don't check out, every one of you in here, just like me, plays pixie choosies with what we think is the most important thing. And we go, God loves this and not this, right? God loves this, I'm good because I do this, and this other thing that I know God's not big on, well, he doesn't really care as much about that. Why? Because I don't, right? Like that's the way we look, we play pixie choosies. But we don't even keep the things we play pixie choosies with. We make excuses for us on things we judge everybody else for. Well, my kid went crazy in the store, but that's because they were having a bad day. And when that kid goes crazy in Walmart, bad parent, right? Like that's what we do. That's what we do. We make excuses for us and judge everybody else because we can't fix our hearts. You mess it up and you either explain it away or you beat yourself up thinking you just need to work a little harder to love God more than these other things, but you can't. You don't have to. That's why Jesus came. You see, if your heart, the center of your being is the problem, then everything we do out of it is the problem. It's part of the problem. But Jesus came to conquer sin, death, and hell so that he could renew us, right? Scripture calls that theologically regeneration, and it is a gift That is his to give because he lived perfectly, died sacrificially, and rose victoriously to deal with what keeps us bent away from God. And so you have to start with Jesus. You have to start there because it doesn't make sense to fix your blindness by shining more light in your eyes or by straining harder. Like I'm blind, but I'm just going to strain really hard. Some of us have really bad eyes. Like I have terrible eyesight. Like if I don't have my contacts in... All I see is like blurs of, actually, you would just all be some shade of blue because the chairs would take over. That's all I'd see. And it doesn't matter if I do this. Like, they're just busted. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make sense to fix a necrotic limb with physical therapy. 
And it doesn't make sense to try and fix death with makeup and new clothes. Look, I know your loves are disordered. I know they are because mine are too. They're better than they were before I met Jesus, but I still find myself constantly wanting other things more than him. But if you try and get this right on your own, all you're going to do is make the problem worse. He offers to remake your heart, not because of what you do, but because of what he has done. And if you don't start there, then nothing else that we're talking about matters. Okay? Now the famous verse. Look down at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. The context here is slavery. That's not a, that's not a very popular um, idea in our country because of our twisted history with it. But like the context is slavery. When it says serve, it doesn't mean like Downton Abbey, okay? Like that's genteel in a, in a valid and worthy profession. No, it means you cannot slave for two masters, okay? Now, he says, because you're either going to love the one and hate the other. And we're like, why would a slave love their master? Well, listen, in the ancient world, and oftentimes we get this wrong even when we read scripture, love and hate in the ancient world had more to do with loyalty than it did affection. So here's what I mean. If you love one master, that means you're loyal to that one. And if you hate the other, it means you're disloyal to that one. If you're devoted to one, you're loyal to that one and you don't like the other one. The point is you cannot be loyal to two opposing ideas and you know this. You know this. Listen, let, let's do something stupid with it. Think about sports teams. For those of you who pay attention to sports. You can't have two teams. You can't have two teams. Now you can until they play, right? Because when they play, someone loses and someone wins. You gotta root for one. There's a loyalty issue. You know, like a little more serious, but still kind of comical. Getting married means that you leave your loyalty to some degree to your parents and it goes to your spouse. And, and they, everyone goes like, oh, no big deal until there's a conflict between them. You know how many people have been on my couch because somebody's like, he listens to his mom more than he listens to me. Like all the time, right? Because that is common. You can't have two loyalties. Someone will always win. And Jesus is saying, you can't be loyal. You can't find your preciousness in money and God. You can't. It doesn't work. Now, some of your translations or some of it when you were raised that said you can't serve both God and mammon. And some of you were raised in churches in which that was, you were told that was some name of some demon. That is not the name of a demon. That is a Semitic word for money, okay? When your translators say money, they're not liberal, trying to get out of the supernatural. No, it means money, okay? You cannot be loyal to both. Someone has to win. And that brings us to the question of service. So if you're a Christian, I need you to listen closely. This passage is about money. But it is not just about money. Because some of us in this room find ourselves in a place where we go, I'm fine with money. And what we mean by that is, I tithe. And so we excuse ourselves from everything else that Jesus has said because we're like, I'm fine. I'm good. This is for so-and-so. 
I'm already having my quiet time for them right now. I'm hoping they're hearing this and I'm praying God open their ears. I'm now going to ask you to stop because this is about you. It's about me. It's about us. Because this passage is about who will win in your heart. And some of us have been walking with Jesus for a long time, but there are things in our lives that if we're asked to give them up, even temporarily, we won't do it. Aren't there? I ask this all the time. I use this all the time. But if Jesus is standing at that door and he says, I need you to follow me, but to follow me, you got to leave this other thing in this room and come out. Would you go? Don't answer. Because some of you go, of course I would. Then why not? Why not do it right now? And you're like, well, Jesus isn't asking me, isn't he? What, what, what would it mean for Jesus to ask you? Would it mean for him literally bodily to show up in that door and go like, you got to come with me, but you can't take this with you. And you would go, yep, yep, that's what it means. Then guess what it means? It means you know that that won't happen. And so therefore you can be free to be loyal to something else. You never have to make the choice. If it really, if it's true, if it's true, if, if you, when you say, of course I would follow after Jesus, then why don't you ever try? Just, I'm not saying like for the lifetime, I'm saying like, can you give it a few months? Like, how about just, just no, like not for a while. Maybe it isn't anything bad in and of itself, but it's showing that there's a loyalty question. So my, ask, my question would be, why not settle it right here and right now? Right now. Why not be honest? Just say, Jesus, this, this is a problem in my life. I'm prone to self-deception. So I want to show you that I love you more than these things. Because you can't serve him and anything else. You can't serve him in security. You can't serve him and being liked by everyone. You can't serve Jesus and gluttony, whether that's food or drink. You can't do it. Like you can't serve Jesus and giving your kids a perfect life. You can't serve Jesus and safety. You can't because someone has to win. Someone's got to win at the end of the day. And if Jesus is saying, I want to take you to Columbia, and you're like, well, the schools then what you're saying is the education of my children is more important than following Jesus. If you're like, Jesus is saying, come with me, but it's like, uh, you know, I, he, he, he's saying, I want you to be radically generous, but you're going, my investments. Then, then what wins? You can't serve two masters. Because when the question is called, one has to win. Listen, one has to win in my life too. As a matter of fact, it's happened a few times in my life with several different things. It's almost like you get a new one. It's like, I thought I got rid of this one. And Jesus is like, hey, but this one too. And you're like, come on. Like it happens. And some of us are like, yeah, I just don't want to. Or even worse, we're like, that's impossible. Where I'm at in my life, that just can't happen. I know you don't want to, and no, it's not. I mean, 
Jesus rose from the dead, right? Last time I checked, that's not happening often. Once. A couple times if you count the ones Jesus did and Elijah, right? And they died again. Like we're talking Jesus rose and he never died again. Like, and the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is living in you and you're like, I can't give up my fear of security. I can't give it up for Jesus. Really? You raise the dead. Listen, you're still wondering. Because what, what's going on right now is some of you are just going like, yeah, no, I don't think that's me. Yeah, I mean, I've got these things that are going on, but I don't, I don't think it's me. I've got this under control. This is fine. It's actually something Jesus likes a lot. Here's what I want you to do this afternoon. I want you to go home this afternoon and I want you to get on your online banking or whatever you use. If you still use a checkbook, all right? Get out your ledger. Does anyone still use a ledger besides Jerry? (laughs) I know he does because he uses one for the church, right? So Jerry and his ledger. Rick, what did you spend? Anyway, here's what I want you to do this afternoon. I want you to get those things out or just simply do a tally in your head. Where's your money flowing freely? And you can trick yourself (laughs) because sometimes that thing isn't necessarily just your money. Sometimes it's your time. Sometimes it's something that you're able to get. There's a place on the road that gives me Diet Coke for free. Um, Where is it flowing freely? Is it Christ and his causes? Or is that simply an easy cost that you take care of at the beginning of the month and don't have to think about again? or at the end of the year, whenever it is, you do it. Listen, Jesus saved you from your sin, but he saved you for himself, not for these other things. Today is the day to set it right. It's the day. Jesus is calling you right now. I don't often say that because I find that to be incredibly arrogant, but this is right here. Jesus is calling you right now. You don't need to listen for him asking you whether you'd come through the door. He's doing it right now through his word. You can't serve two masters. Stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to others around you. He is good and he will give you, I promise you, he will give you the things your heart is craving. He will. But he will do it in him. Because trying to serve anything other or in addition to Jesus is actually serving everything but Jesus. Do you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. We bless your name. And we ask out of your great mercy that you would work repentance in us. We are told that repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true knowledge of and hatred of his sin turns from it unto God. Not just because we hate our sin, but because we acknowledge and apprehend the mercy of God in Christ. And so Lord, if we're gonna see that, if we're gonna do that, it's because you have given it to us. And so we ask that you would realign our loves. Do it for your glory, for our good. We ask it in Christ's name, amen.